So welcome to the Red Chair. Today we have Bjorn Tremery from the European Investment Fund. Bjorn, welcome to Indico. Great Thank to you. see you in Lisbon again. Yeah. Thank you for having me here on the Red Chair. Red Chairs even. Exactly. It's so so good to see you. So you represent the European Investment Fund. We'll we'll talk about that right after. But who who are you? Where did you come from? Yeah, despite the Scandinavian, I, I was looking at the name tag uh, because we're at the Web Summit here as well, and uh, I don't have it. But despite the Scandinavian first name, I'm actually Belgian. Grew up in Belgium, the Flemish-speaking part, the Dutch-speaking part. Mm -hmm. Studied in the French-speaking part to get some French knowledge, and then uh, did some uh, studies in Germany as well, the third oh, national really? language of Belgium. And then uh, very qu quickly, I wanted to have an international career. Went to investment banking, uh, then went to in direct investing, venture capital, worked for a Belgian-based globally active VC fund. Which was? Flanders Language Valley Fund. Right. It was listed on what was then an attempt to create a European NASDAQ, and that attempt was called EASDAQ. I remember so the Flanders Language Valley Fund was a fund with $200 million plus Listed Which was on big at the time, at, right? at the time yes. Which year was this, more or less? Oh, it was set up uh, second half of the 90s. I joined in 2000. We had just done a secondary public offering, $90 million, on EASDAC. And I was recruited to help the then already existing team to invest that money. And, and we then, were already looking at the AI at the time. We were sitting next to Learnout and Housepy. The speech, uh, the speech rec company that uh, one day at the heydays of Nasdaq was valued a couple of billions as two as, as, as a Belgian company. Um, in the uh, dot com boom. And the dot com, uh, yeah. And um, and then you joined, and then there was a bust. Right? And then I joined. Yeah, we we had even ease ops, so uh, um, we we didn't have carry at the fund, but we had stock options. And I had a strike price, and since I since I joined, actually we we never made it above the strike price no it, on, it only went down my shrink told me it's not my fault no that's a joke but um but no it, it only went south after that and a certain moment in time when you're when you're trading as a listed company below the um the money on the bank account yes. and you have a portfolio of 40 50 companies and we had shazam in the portfolio oh you had shazam already we, yeah yeah we were the first uh, first round investors together it was then called links joint venture between Bear Stern and Virgin Media. Mm -hmm. We had IDG Ventures uh, uh, in that group as well. And we had 40, 50 other good companies still with the benefit of hindsight. But uh, yeah, we were not uh, appreciated enough on the stock market. We, um, we turned the money back to the investors, sold off all the, the shares, the all shares the and the secondaries. Companies. Most got preempted by the way. And somewhere were decent companies that are currently still alive. Shazam as part of, of Apple now, uh, so many years later. But uh, there was a moment in time that uh, I was also let go. I didn't have a portfolio to manage anymore. And EIF picked up my CV. And EIF was kind of just starting in a way, right? Oh, um, I think we were four or five years into a real six years maximum. Into but it a real was kind of investment. small, right? I think we were less than 60 people when I joined. With a guarantee activity, with already venture activity. This is at the beginning of, of the 2000s? Or? 2002. So I joined Flanders Language Valley Fund May 2000 and I joined EIF October 2002. And what was, and so tell us, what is the EIF and what were they doing at, at the time? Yeah, uh, EIF was then already doing exactly the same thing as today, but at a different scale. Um, EIF is the uh, financing arm of the European Union for innovation, entrepreneurship, SMEs. We have two product lines, uh, a credit product line, uh, where we give guarantees to banks so that they take a bit more risk 
to startups or to tech companies or to SMEs mm -hmm. in the case that they are too afraid to take the more risk that it's going to generate losses we're willing to against the guarantee, guarantee fee guarantee yep. some of the losses on the equity part where I am we do uh, investments uh, in funds um, venture capital funds and lower mid-market funds development capital funds um, we invest in the meantime between four and five billion per year on the equity side of which two to three billion on the VC side nowadays nowadays at the time it was a couple of hundred million yes so uh, the scale has has dramatically changed but already at the time to invest two three four hundred million per year in Because SMEs you don't do that directly or in startups so for that scale we went an intermediate model we don't invest directly we invest in funds or we give guarantees to banks or credit institutions that's basically what EIF does Uh, we're fully fledged uh, in terms of um, setup. We have an in-house legal department, in-house risk department, in-house compliance department. Uh, we have a top-notch back office department as well. Given that we so have so have so many mandators, uh, we need to do a certain elements in-house. What we can outsource, we try to outsource, of course. But when you have more than 100 mandates to serve, There's a big institutional uh, back and, office and we need as well. When you say mandates, what does it mean? A mandate is... Uh, w w our money doesn't grow on trees either. So Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Good question. So in order to be able to invest in people like you uh, at, at Indico, we need to get money somewhere as well. We have what we call four pillars of money providers. But before I go into the pillars, let me first explain the cap table mm -hmm. because it's two different things. We have shareholders and we have mandators. Our shareholders are typically three groups. The largest group, it's just one party, is European Investment Bank, mm -hmm. 60%. Second group, the European Commission, 30%. And then a group of 30 public and private institutions uh, for the reminder of the 10%. Which are shareholders. Shareholders of a cap table of 7.4 billion, roughly 20% paid in. With that cap table, which is AAA rated, thanks to our ownership of the EIB and the EU member states, mm -hmm. um, we can then attract money. By the way, we're the only public uh, European institution that has also private shareholders. So we're a yep. public-private partnership and everything we do has to happen with a profit purpose. So we're not a, a grant institution. We are there to support policy whilst making money as well. Yes. The only thing, because a lot of what we do is policy-driven, the only thing that sets us really apart from the pure private sector is we don't need to purchase, maximization, uh, pursue maximization of profit. Right, but Then you need to be profitable. We need to be profitable, and, uh, and that's why you are super demanding. That's why we are. <laughs> that plus the fact that we also manage 90% of our shareholding are, are, are linked directly or indirectly to member states, and a lot of it is public money. So we have a duty, duty of care towards that. Uh, we, I don't think the private sector can gamble either, but we we need to be right. super careful that but you public do have money private is money as well, right? Yes. So both in the cap table, but now finally to your question, where does our money come from? Because our cap table money is only 20% paid in, 20% of 7.5 mm -hmm. billion is not going to take you a long way if you invest billions per year. Largest shareholder is also the largest mandatory money provider. The EIB uh, has entrusted us with uh, an evergreen mandate that has grown to 16, 17 billion. Uh, that allows us on an annual basis to invest more than a billion into European private equity and venture capital funds. Mm -hmm. Our minority shareholder, European Commission, entrusts us with money. It's the second 
pillar of money provision entrusted us on an annual basis, uh, no, on a seven annual basis with budgets out of the seven-year multi-annual programs, the European Union budgets. We're currently investing out of 21-27 period. Before that, we had Horizon 2020 with Innofin and Cosme. And those programs are tailored to regions, are tailored to sectors, are tailored to stages. And it's also in the magnitude of a couple of billions over the, the seven-year period. Innofin, by the way, was what was the, the mandated created Indico, really. I mean, invested in the first funding. Exactly. And the mandate of, of Innofin is also to put new people in the market. We need more venture capitalists. Also in the markets that are historically not known to be the markets where innovation is happening. And that is changing rapidly now, thanks to you, thanks to the programs that we have. Um, the third pillar of money that we manage is uh, coming from uh, member states, accession countries to the EU, or from regions in the EU or a group of member states. So in Portugal, we have programs, Portugal Tech, we have PVCI, uh, we have Portugal Blue or, or uh, yes. and, and, and Growth. Um, we have similar programs in Spain. We have similar programs in the Baltic states. In, we have programs in Sweden, in Eastern Europe. And this is money from the member states, states that you manage. That basically. we manage on their behalf. On their behalf, yes. with your technology, with your knowledge. With, with our with our know-how, it is money yes. that say, sometimes then they, they go on and build their own of course. Uh, teams. It's uh, a partnership. That's it's, it's partnerships and we, we help them uh, grow as well. In the meantime, I think, for instance, the largest uh, mandate that we have there is a mixture of mandates in Germany, where I think in the totality of the money we manage for Germany it's close to 8 billion in the Netherlands. It's grown to, it's grown to over a billion. I think uh, we have repeat programs in Portugal as well, where perhaps it's not to a billion, but we also have yes. a couple of programs where we're closer to half a billion than 200 million. Mm -hmm. So um, some of these partnerships work very well. The good thing is European performance has been such, both on private equity, but increasingly so on venture as well, that it's very difficult on the portfolio funds to lose money. So uh, we're profit-making as per our mandate and our cap table on all of these uh, mandates. So it is a product that works well. Member states and even the EIB and the Commission can entrust a large pocket of money. They know that statistically the chances of losing that money is close to zero and that the chances of actually getting returns that are better than what you can get uh, for inflation-adjusted uh, uh, returns in the market is something that everybody likes. Then we have programs as well, and then I come to the fourth pillar. It's programs where uh, we have private money providers, pension funds, insurance groups, family mm -hmm. offices, mm -hmm. that really say, dear EIF, you are so well enshrined in the European private equity and VC landscape. Why can't you give us a, a product that of everything you see, you give us access to the best of the best? Mm -hmm. Then we also have private clients, which are corporates that say, I'm not interested in maximization of return, but I'm actually interested in getting a knowledge of everything what Europe has to offer, also in the lesser developed regions. I'm willing to take a lesser return, but you give me a bit more visibility on what's happening in Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, or in other markets, even in developed regions. I want to see what's happening in space. I want to see what's happening in life sciences. I'm willing to give up some of the upside on the return in favor of getting visibility on the total market in Europe in a segment or in a region. And that's when corporates sometimes team up with us as, as, as well. Right. And so let's go back a little bit in history. So in 2002, we were really 
you know, in the lowest point ever, probably until today. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually much lower than, than, than what we have today. So, and, and then what happened? We had like the nuclear winter of venture capital. What did that mean? It was right after the dot-com dot boom bust, and then you were suddenly, you had money to invest in funds. What, was, we, what we, were you thinking at, back then? We, we already had the, the, the money. So since 96, 97, we have made our first fund commitments. We were all hyped up because we had the, the, the dot-com. Right, right. Wow. Great returns until 2000. Yeah, and then everything, <laughs> everything stopped. But it's basically, we took baby steps into the market in Europe. And then uh, yeah, our, our, our feet and our, our, our legs were cut off with, with the dot-com crisis. Many people burned their fingers. Mm. Many people learned hard lessons. Um, uh, and some of those lessons have to be, have to be relearned now. We can yes. go into that if you want. But what happened then is that basically the market came to complete halt. I, I like your saying the nuclear winter. I think in 2003, we didn't even invest in five VC funds mm. in Europe. Because hardly anybody... Was, was capable of raising. Yes. People were um, looking what was happening, the hemorrhaging in the portfolio. Portfolio. Um, there were people that were never bouncing back from it. No. Because there they, weren't that many funds either, right? I mean, there no. were some, but not that many either. Well, right? it, late, late, late nineties. There were years where the, you, you had many appeared. Many yes. appeared, but it was yes. really one hit wonders or. Yes. Yeah, uh, they, but compared to today, there were very few funds. I mean, I was in London at the time. I went through the dot com boom and then bust. I was already yeah. at Harvard when the bust happened, yeah. but uh, but it it was really small. I mean, compared it, it was, to yeah. you, you, you the had, hype was similar to these last few years, yes. uh, maybe worse, even worse. But but you could also see that back then. I remember in ninety nine, you could see that things were gonna go off the rails at some stage, right? And they did. Well, I it was my first real um, boom and in my career and bust. So I was inexperienced with, with lessons learned and with, with trends. But I, I do think that people that have been at that time longer and had witnessed other uh, yeah, cycles, they probably had seen the first time of greed at the top and uh, yes. and then fear at the bottom and the psychology of of how markets behave whenever... Now we know or we should know that when everybody says... It's time to buy. It's actually the time to sell. <laughs> and when everybody says it's time to, to be fearful, then it's time to, to show buy. courage and right. to invest. Right. Uh, I didn't know that at that time yet. So it, uh, it would be a bit arrogant to, to claim now that, that I knew. But what happened really is that the markets came to a standstill. Now, what I really like about, and uh, personally, I don't take credit for it, but I think our mandators, the commission or shareholder and EIF itself, is to be credited that they didn't ditch the future. They no. they were courageous enough, but also foresightful enough to say, Long term. we need to invest in venture capital because technology ultimately is, innovation is what's going to, to, to create jobs. It's what's going to drive new companies. It, it We cannot ditch this. Even when pension funds say we're never going to touch this again, when insurance companies yes. and institutions say for many never again in Europe, but they said we've, we've burned our fingers so badly. And again, performance then was bad enough that I can understand. But so what, what happened is that uh, basically we had, to, uh, we had to create a phoenix from the ashes. Uh, but even a phoenix from the ashes needs to have somewhere substance to, right. rise to, 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 to rise again. So we, we are not only EIF, but other public institutions uh, fueled that that ecosystem happily there were nevertheless despite the hard uh, the hardship there were nevertheless people that were courageous enough Believers. to still be an entrepreneur that say yeah I, I don't care if it's a 
Mission Impossible. I'm nevertheless going to try to build. build a company, a startup. I have a good idea. I believe in myself. And we started to see the first people really um, creating successful companies. And uh, it's a bit of pity that uh, nowadays, I need to still mention it, but there's plenty of other examples. But nowadays, a number of companies have created a momentum of, hey, it can still be done. I still remember when Calco was sold for 500 million to Yahoo at the time in the French ecosystem, even the European ecosystem was like, wow. wow. Then Skype happened, 2 yes. billion exit to, to eBay. It was like, wow, in Europe. Uh, and you had Love Film, you had other other, other success stories. Uh, perhaps some, not all of them come to mind now, but that created the first momentum of, hey, something's happening here. And a lot of great companies were created uh, back then. Even in Portugal, I mean, the Fidesz, OutSystem, uh, they were... OutSystem, they were, yes, they were already... Started in those times. But the outcome wasn't visible then yet. Uh, no. It was also the time, people don't know this, but Booking.com. Yes. Booking.com was created in Amsterdam. And, uh, it, it, okay, it didn't need 100 or 200 million fundraising, but needed a growth round. And it was a bit tougher than expected. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I think one of the Marengrim groups, was it now uh, Priceline, made an offer, 150 million, and, then, and, then and they so bought it. Suddenly, then we had the global financial crisis, which kind of damped things a little bit, or what What do you think? In in, in between, we, um, uh, I think, b before the global financial crisis, I think we need to mention a couple of uh, groups. Rocket Internet happened, yeah, yeah. Uh, Berlin, out of uh, out of nowhere. They, they yeah. may have been copycats, what have you. But it started. It, 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 they, have, they have played a major role in European venture, I think, uh, Team Europe uh, as, as well. In London, there were a number of groups that uh, last minute, uh, um, .com, dot, dot com. Um, um, you had uh, Brent Hoberman, uh, you had a whole ecosystem there, and then Fathers Forum. Then, indeed, the, the global financial crisis uh, happened, but it didn't lead to nuclear winter. No. Uh, the same way it had in the so past. So already yeah. there was a bit more belief in the startup community with founders uh, that... It, yes. It, yeah, and the you, mobile well, revolution was ongoing, right? Uh, and the start of the yeah. cloud revolution, right? It, it, it was already, we're not going to go back to... We're never going to go back to the nuclear winter. It, it was really... Yeah, yeah, yeah couldn't... I cannot show five companies in my portfolio vintage 2003. Yeah. And uh, roughly the same 2004. So if they ask me for statistics and I, I show a top five, I cannot go back to no. 2003 or four because I don't have a top five to show. No. I, I only have perhaps a top two or three. And if people look in our annual reports who we backed, people might get the performance of those. So I cannot disclose right. the, the, the data because it's so slim. Uh, back to the global financial crisis. Uh, yeah, even in the global financial crisis, Sequoia sent out their, their deck, RIP, good times. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that a lot because there was this famous email that Mike Moritz or Doug Leone yes. and Mike Moritz had exchanged. It's actually a double email. Yeah. Uh, first on uh, what he had sent in the 2000 dot-com crisis to portfolio yes. companies. Yes. And then he that. said, I'm going to dust it off again now uh, <laughs> because it's still valuable. And with the benefit of hindsight, I thought European VCs then, and perhaps I'm, I'm, 
I'm being a bit too harsh for them, but I think in Europe the VCs didn't really have a clue what to do in hard times. Right. Uh, uh, Mike Moritz said, uh, make certain you have 12 months of cash and if not, uh, uh, be prepared for a tough ride and try to find a consolidator. Right. Uh, the power of, of negotiation has changed in favor of investors. So you, famous entrepreneur, uh, if you thought you, you had the, 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 the power balance on your side, negotiation-wise, think again. That is not happening. But then we started uh, seeing that after the global financial crisis, we've had um, the, the the sovereign and the, the euro crisis. European investors were already a bit more agile. And uh, fast forward a lot com- comes the, the pandemic. Uh, immediately, all my managers said, this is the exposure of my portfolio. These are going to suffer. These are neutral and these are going to win. We immediately had that. Then you had the... The, the the Ukraine invasion by Russia, you had the gas crisis, interest rates rising, really crisis at global save, at global scale. If you have the the CEO of J.P. Morgan saying that this is the worst time since since World War Two, immediately had again my yes. portfolio manager saying this is what's happening, uh, SVB collapse. This is the exposure we have. Immediately we have now an ecosystem. We have GPs. We have founders that are reactive, that know what to do, that are on top of things. Yes. And that's, uh, that, that's how I see... The level of sophistication yeah. is nothing to do with not, what it nothing was, to right? do. Nothing not only the do. level of sophistication, but the level of capital. Uh, pretty much uh, everything is totally different. So basically, we are now in a totally different situation. But didn't you see already, maybe also in 2015, that things... Because I remember oh, we were yes. we were worried. Actually, in 2015, even before Indico, we were like, oh my God, you know, valuations are going through the roof already. Then there was a bit of a slump and then it kept going up and up and up. And when we launched Indico, we knew like we have to get into the market fast because, you know, there's nobody in the Portuguese market sort of covering it. We, we, we got you on board, thank God. And it was super difficult to get other investors. But finally, with, with your seal of approval and, and, and a few other believers, we got it. And we invested a lot in 2019 which at the time was a bit weird for some people, but we thought we rather do it sooner rather than later because things will derail at some stage, as they did. As they did, yeah. <laughs> and we actually sold a unicorn uh, when it reached unicorn status. Well done. Um, yeah, and now it's no longer, I think, a unicorn. And uh, so basically, here we are now in a totally different situation, but people have learned and the system is resilient what are what do you think are the big differences now between vc managers we'll we'll get into regions and differences yeah. but on in general vc managers 2023 versus 10 years ago 10 uh, i would even say 10 15 years ago um i would say that the vc managers the mix has has changed we have people that uh, now also have learned to become a VC from the operator point of view. So we, we've had founder experience, operator, uh, entrepreneur experience to the mix. I think that yes. helps. I don't think it's the only ingredient, but if of you course. look at many VCs in the US, what they, they have that. They, they, they almost exclusively have that. We had um, the experience from the, the late 90s when the only VCs, they were people coming out of investment banking yeah. or, or, or consultancy. Uh, we didn't have yet role models no. that successfully said, I've, I've sold a company, I've created a company, sold it. I'm now a business angel and on the basis of business angel track record, I'm going to be uh, then uh, an a, fund inter- a fund manager. Yeah. Now we have we have plenty of, of, of that. Um, so that to me is, a, is, a, is, if not the most crucial, it's at least a very valuable, valuable element to, to bring to the mix. 
that you know what it is. You have that on board uh, in your team as well yeah. with uh, so, some, some people is with yeah. Christina. So I do think that uh, that completes the picture. Is it the only way? No, uh, because we see as well that uh, yes. there are uh, the, the people that are still here and that survived the dot-com crisis. They must have done something right even without the entrepreneurial experience yeah. or in the meantime, they have brought on board that expertise. But I think the mindset has changed both at the entrepreneurial level mm -hmm. and at the GP level. At the GP level in the 2000s, I had the feeling, 2000-2005 period, that people were happy taking on board our money and not lose it. Because if you didn't lose it, you already were top quartile. Right, right. But you're not going to attract the real institutional money with that, that, that discipline. You need to be able to have more ambition than that and to see what do I need to do to get... To get really the 20%, 25% net returns that I market, what do I need to do to, to get there? And then you also need to team up with the right entrepreneurs that have the ambition level. And there we start having the right entrepreneurs um, on board that are not selling out too easy, like booking.com, mm. um, but say, look, yeah, I think I have something solid here and something valuable, could be a global player, let me build that out further. So that entrepreneurial talent at scale and the GP is now also seeing that, yes, you can scale it further and not sell out too early or at least not sell out completely too early right. that, that, uh, that we, we have seen. But I do think that the main thing is experience. It's not that all yes. of a sudden it takes time. Uh, people, uh, people have been um, yeah, drinking different tap water or so. And it's just no. it's, the ecosystem has built the snowball effect of uh, entrepreneurs turning uh, serial entrepreneurs turning business angels turning fund managers uh, is really um, has really kicked off right and did you did you see I mean of course then now it's no longer just Berlin and London um, did you see the emergence of other areas and how do you think this is going in yeah. terms of you know these peripheral regions which traditionally uh, have nothing and now something seems to I uh, we uh, we observe that everywhere but Lee, and, and there's, a, there's a good study that Dealroom together with Axel that everywhere we, where you start seeing a success story, you can, it can be unicorn, but it doesn't even need to no. be a unicorn. Everywhere where you see a success story, it opens the eyes that entrepreneurship can be successfully done. It creates awareness and the snowball effect of success breeding success it's starts. I still remember at the smaller scale, the effect of uh, in, in Spain, by they called it by by bib by vip being sold i think it was sold to amazon for not even 100 million but it was like but it, it was the talk of town yes 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 it's like here farfetch and At, christina's talk but, desk but, 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 like, but that's oh. farfetch is already unicorn yes, level yes. but if even a uh, 100 million euro dollar exit creates that type of buzz yes. imagine what unicorns do and now you have unicorns in portugal yes. tune five six seven um, but everywhere where you see yes. a success story, UiPath in Romania, Viva Wallet in Greece, yes, in the regions where people would not expect it 20 years ago, you start see this snowball effect taking place and everywhere. And that's the big difference with the US where a lot is still concentrated in the big yes. hubs, Silicon Valley, bit Boston, Austin, Texas, New York. Yes. But here in Europe, it's really coming from all over the place. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's this hub phenomenon. Yes. So I would say Lisbon is... Lisbon, a couple of years ago, I think 2018, was one of the top five cities where people wanted to set up a company. And, and it has only increased now, digital nomads during COVID, uh, the good weather, but the tech talent that you have, the engineering talent, the, the good English uh, not knowledge that you have, mm -hmm. you see that here, but uh, in the Baltics as well, yeah. tiny yeah. countries, 
but man, uh, innovation hubs are, and um, yeah. so what really is, everywhere. What what is it missing for the private capital to come in in force? Because everybody is so dependent. <laughs> On, on local institutions and institutions like yourselves, which are great partners, but we yeah. need the, also the private capital in these peripheral countries. I, I'm still a bit without a real answer. Uh, I do think two things, it's personal views, despite all the good statistics that we can show about European venture, yeah. that we're at par, uh, at least with paper values and that with the US. Yes. If you tap into the best, the top 25 in Europe can rival with the top 25% in, in the US. Uh, and there's data that underpins that. What I do think is that we don't have a long enough history uh, because a lot of those data points are based also not only on realized, but also right. a lot of unrealized value. Sure. I think the real money will come if the institutionals will start seeing that it's cash on cash returns as well. Right. Right. And I, I think we, we don't see it enough yet at scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a matter of time. And that's it's frustrating to of have course. to wait. But you cannot speed that up. I do think now that we, we, we show it on paper. There's always the doubting, Tom, that, that, doubting Thomas that will say, but I also want to be able to touch it, to feel it. Absolutely. And that's then the cash on cash. And there, unfortunately, even I, as a big believer in European yeah, yeah, tech, has to say that sometimes we don't have it at scale mm-hmm. enough yet. I start having funds that have cash on cash returned five times, 10 times, 14, 15 times. I have that in my portfolio. But do I have 50 examples of 10x funds? No. (laughs) No, not yet. I think, not not yet, definitely not yet. But by the time that I will have the 50 fund managers that have uh, 5x cash on cash returns in their portfolios or at least one fund, that's the moment where all the institutionals will say, We'll get in. in. Yes. Well, we're all waiting for that day and we'll all be very happy. And thank you so much for your support. Thank you for coming to our offices. Thank you for having me. uh, Good to see you again. Thank you.